Welcome to the Batphone Podcast, where we talk about combat sports, comic books, gaming, pop culture, and anything else my friends want to talk about. Hosted by yours truly, Nick Batman Hughes. Alright, picking up the Batphone this week, once again, my friend Dan Dwyer. Welcome back on the podcast, man. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back. I've uh, been listening for a long time and it's making me jealous and envious. And uh, yeah, what's, what's been jealous about it? Oh, I've just been jealous. Like, it's like uh, hearing all the wonderful stories about the jiu-jitsu, I love reminiscing on all the years past. Oh, yeah. and, uh, uh, yesterday, I think it was uh, nine years ago, um, there was a competition that we were at and uh, a couple of people were like, oh, look at these photos. Look how young we were and stuff. Yeah, and that's like, basically <laughs> It's basically me with no beard, <laughs> looking like a 12-year-old boy. And everyone else looks exactly the same. Pretty much. And like in that photo, I think like out of that, probably about 14 people in our black belts which is crazy so yeah it's pretty cool a lot that of is really cool yeah i wanted to invite one to have a chat about all things grappling because basically there's been a lot happening recently uh obviously the wno championships just happened uh polaris craig's going to be defending his belt m16 open is coming up uh and much much more to be honest with you like B-team Mexican ground karate is in full swing if anyone's been watching those count films like it's just been absolutely hilarious uh, Gordon's tum tum. Yep, it's getting better. Yep, slowly but surely. There's a uh, Medusa, which is a oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think it's three a.m. here tomorrow. Mm. It's taking place in Mexico. Um, and even the fight to win. Yeah. They're they're starting to pick up now. They've been harder to watch because there's like five to six hour events of people I have no idea what I'm looking at. But like some of the names that they, they're drawing in now are really cool, and some of the caliber of matchups they're putting on yeah. is really good. It's it's been hard to get like a unified rule set that people really want to compete under, mm-hmm. but the who's number one rule set seems to be the one that people like yeah, the most. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was like, after the um, 10 minutes or five minutes, it's like, oh, I think this person's winning. And then the judges announce mm-hmm. who they favor. Like, I, yeah. I was a big fan of it. Yeah, um, five minute favor, 10 minute favor, and then 15 minute decision if, it, if no yeah. one gets a submission. But yeah. there's a lot of submissions going on at these events. Like, let's, let's have a look at who's number one championship. Like, right off the bat... <clears throat> There is so much to talk about, and there were so many upsets and so many standout performances. But if you were to pick, if you were to say try to pick three names, who would you go with? Um, I know who I have in my mind right now. Yeah, um, Tim Spriggs was huge. Yeah, like, that was a uh, that was crazy. I mean, the man practically retired. And then yeah, came back obviously. Um, like. Can I count the Rotolo twins as one person? Uh, like, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like both of them were so impressive. One, the fact that like they were eighteen years old yeah. is one. They were one fifty five and one eighty five. Even though I'm sure like Ty didn't weigh one eighty five mm. in that one. Um, but other than that, I mean, Cole, without yeah. a doubt, the sixteen year old yeah. blue belt taking out black belt. He's so, my, he's the number one off. We've been fanboying hardcore. so. <laughs> Like over the last probably two to three weeks, we keep replaying his match yeah. with Bernie, like yeah, over yeah. and over and over Watching again. Every week, pretty much. Um, man, he's just such a standout competitor. His style, his he's using false reap now yeah. as well, which is a really, really cool innovation for leg entanglements and leg entries. It becomes very specific from a non-specific area, just seated guard when they're already passing through. If you can't go shin to shin, if they've won inside position, he yeah. can still hit his false reap inversion and go for it. There's been a lot of um, evolutions that were taking place uh, in that who's number one championship. But I was watching uh, Hillbilly Hammer, oh my gosh, yeah. man, uh, Jacob Couch, like he had a standout performance. I think 
it would be hard for me to put him in the top three because it's just hard to do a top three. Yeah. But his standout performance overall was really good. He had some excellent submission wins. Obviously, he yeah. had some massive, a massive uh, upset submission win over Jimenez. But all the way through to the repechage on the final day, his match with Tackett that went to decision, yeah. like you're looking at really consistent leg entries from both guys and brilliant technical defense. Yeah. So they're both sort of like hunting the pretzel bolo counter, hunting the back take counter. What that looked like to me is 15 minutes of what you might see in a really high level academy that has excellent leg lock attack knowledge and excellent leg lock defense knowledge. Mm. Like that looked like to me like something that I would see in an academy, but just really sharp and on a high level. Yeah. Uh, and that is something that I've not seen before. Usually, well, what's been happening is one competitor has excellent leg attacks and the other has, you know, 80% leg defense and it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Like it's not so exchangeable between the attack and defense. One attribute re relatively outweighs the other. Um, I mean, the other standout that I can really think of is, um, I don't think she won, but Amanda Alekin. No, no. Um, it's either Alcazin or Alakin. I, I, I butcher names as well. Yeah, so. I, it's one um, of those. But she, to me, showed the best evolution of the leg lock game in the female division that I've seen uh, out of anyone. Yeah. And uh, she had some matches on the repechage day as well. So I don't think she won her divisions, but she did amazing. Maya Bastos as well did yeah. amazing. But yeah, they call okay. her Tubby. Oh yeah, yeah, Tubby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tubby, man. Mm -hmm. She she's been doing really well. Like she's um like I remember watching. I can't remember one of the like is it the third ghost or fight to win? Mm -hmm. Like um but just the no gi passing uh, because like a lot of even a lot of the women that were in that card, uh, a lot of them are gay world champions. Like, like yeah. Danielle Kelly, even uh, there's another yeah. person. Like, obviously, with the exception of Grace Gundrum, um, like a lot of them would have been predominantly either MMA or gay. Yeah. Um, I think Grace. I think Grace is obviously this yeah. hit a twister, which was wild. Um, Super cool. And the fact that she's only what eighteen, yeah. maybe just eighteen year old black belt. Um, but yeah, a lot of the a lot of the women's matches, I was um, like just watching them like i've seen so many posts that you know with like pictures of comparisons of like you know who your child should look up to and it's like, it's like yeah. kim kardashian and stuff <laughs> like that like like look up to the people like you know um like pretty much all of the female world champions or any of the winners like you know um we obviously we have today we had a one of the uh students here at trinity's uh daughter participate in yeah. the first jujitsu class like you know as she obviously continues to train if she decides to um you know those would be the people that she'll be looking that's up right when she starts to pick up some of those names <laughs> like if she hears us talking about those names which she inevitably will yeah. because we're always talking about it on yeah. the mats and stuff like that she might just type one into a search engine and be yeah. like, oh, I really like this chick. I really like this. I really like that. You know or watching I mean? an event and suddenly yeah. it's like, ooh, you know, it's a, the old, um, like everyone wanted to be Ronda Rousey and yeah. stuff like that when she was growing. And, you know, the different evolution as jiu-jitsu grows, I'm sure it's going to slowly influence more people. You know, we've got a couple of um, young uh, junior students here. Um, they watch some grappling with their dad because their dad's, you know, blue belt or purple belt mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, and as they watch these competitions, they come in and they're like, oh, did you see this person win? She did so well or he did so well. You know, there's people looking up to jiu-jitsu, uh, you know, uh, sort of role models now, which I think is fantastic. And they're getting younger and younger. Like, Rotolo twins, yeah, obviously 18 and under, Cole 16 and under. Mika Garval, 17. Mika 17 just got his black belt. I mean, these, these are the guys that are going all the way through to winning these championships. Yeah. And it was an interesting, like, I'm potentially unfortunate how the Mika and Ty 
fight went down. Yeah. Like, but you've got to remember, I mean, these guys, there's so much on the line for them and they are very young, yeah. you know, so they're being tactical purposefully and I, you could hear the referee just being like come on guys like what is going yeah. on like this is not you we know your game like, he literally said we know both of your games yeah. this is not you yeah. like, that's attack like we, that's what a crazy a, thing to say as yeah. a referee and know? that's a 30 minute match so like yeah. I know I've not done a 30 minute match um, Avery I was watching it with her She's done a 30-minute match before, and you can't keep that pace for 30 minutes so like consistently after having competed the day before. Yeah. But when you get to that point where there's $30,000 on the line, like you're going to want to take it slow. You and know? you're going to want to win. Yeah, and you're 17, yeah. 18 years old. Like, Mika Garvel's 17 from Brazil. Like, $30,000 US for him. Life-changing. Yeah. And obviously, like, both the Rotolos were able to win it, which is crazy. The fact that they're 18, been training for 12 or 13 years, uh, not even black belts, mm. uh, and going out there and just just smashing competition yeah. I was a big fan of the Rotolos because uh, they do a style of us I Whoa. what is this they're busted down the door oh we got Avery yes Avery <laughs> welcome to the podcast podcast crashes Ben Ricketts <laughs> and Avery Clemens how's it going how are you good I'm very good oh I like it how unsuspecting <laughs> <laughs> We are just talking about the Who's Number One Championships and just recounting some of the things that had happened I brought up um, Tubby I thought her performance was amazing. Of course, we're fanning over Colabate, the Rotolo twins, you know, being so young and being so uh, different with their style and the style mm-hmm. they bring to the game. Just so many upsets and standout performances, a lot of evolution that took place. But yeah, how's it going, guys? Doing well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ben is like a deer in the headlights. Yeah, yeah, no, um, I have an ear infection, so if I don't... Um, answers because I can't hear. And I choose not I'm, to believe that. <laughs> if I'm yelling, it's because I can't hear. So besides that, we're all good. If all you're good. yelling, it's because you're playing Mario Party and you're losing. <laughs> Don't even bring that up. I'm, I'm still seeing. Still in that video, where you yeah. like using the rain. <laughs> Did you like getting dragged over the coals like last week on the podcast by Priscilla and Jackie? Yeah. Um. I th- <laughs> I thought it was really funny. Um, but I do want a rematch. That's for sure. I felt like the home ground advantage wasn't really um, fair, and I think it needs at least to be like a two out of three kind of. A two out of three. Yeah. Those yeah. they take like forty-five minutes or an hour and a half to play one board, man. Like two out of three. It's all right. We got all day. <laughs> well, yeah. I've you know I've I've coined this one the uh, the grappling convo podcast, basically mm-hmm. grapple cast, like grapple apparel. Grapple sport, grapple cast, you know. But um, I'd love to get uh, Avery your perspective on. Did you you've been watching? Obviously, your job is to watch almost every jiu-jitsu match that takes place <laughs> ever. Is there anything you've been looking out for? Any names that have popped up that you've been really impressed by, or any any technical progression that you've seen recently? Yeah, I mean, I've been following the Rotolo brothers for uh, a while. Um, mm. I think since ADCC went high you know, went really far to the semifinal. Mm. The semifinals, yeah. Um, and yeah, just seeing how they've progressed, um, Mika Galvao as yeah. well. Um, we've been following him since he was a blue belt. Yeah. Um, and he's always been just super impressive. So it's crazy to see, to me, you know, these younger grapplers that have made it this far and mm. how much they've progressed. And seeing like, okay, this is 
you know, a young prospect, and now they're beating people yeah. who have been in the game for, you know, it's it's long. astonishing. It's yeah. absolutely astonishing. You know, Dan and I were just talking about a Grace Gundrum, Colabate, yeah. Latolo, Twins, Mika. Yeah. Like, they're bringing the average age down really drastically. Oh, I yeah. mean, but I was actually having this conversation the other day about is it easier now or harder now to learn from a younger age? Because I know when I first started, I obviously I had a little bit of wrestling to back me up, mm -hmm. but the formative learning for me at White Belt was like full guard. Yeah. And you know, a full guard triangle armbar Kimura up and over sweep. Yeah. And that was, you know, you could go into a competition and be on par with everyone learning those aspects as your induction into yeah. jiu-jitsu, into grappling. But now it's completely different. Like what you are expected to know, the scope of technique that you're expected to be able to apply in a competition when you compete at a young age is massive. It's not full guard anymore. Yeah. And these kids are doing high level leg entanglement entries. And not only that, they're innovating and expanding on what is potentially possible based on all of those variables already existing of what I've called Abate's yeah. false reap entries and the the Ruotolos as well, the way that they're passing. Mm -hmm. It incorporates the idea that someone can play inside De La Hiva, outside De La Hiva, they can roll for the saddle. They're not ever caught being elevated on the hooks and getting put into the saddle. Yeah. Um, they're using their own systems yeah. of passing. They're using flying darses to just bypass immediately. Like they're yeah. so well drilled everywhere, but their game is designed on the evolution of the art itself. Yeah. And for them to be able to achieve that through their, basically through their formative learning. And then, so how many years are we really talking here? You know, I know at Cold, these kids are starting from their three and six, but they're learning the basics, they're learning the movements. So when do they start technically picking things up and applying? Maybe it happens a little bit earlier. So, okay, so maybe they're 10 and 12 mm -hmm. having this big technical base to work from. And from that moment onwards, evolving. Yeah. So they get to 16, so okay, three or four years of evolution, and they're able to replicate that on a world scale against elite black belts. Mm -hmm. Give them two more years, then they're beating them. Yeah. It's like, oh man, I, that is astonishing to me. That is next level astonishing to me. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you think about two, you know, these aren't just kids that come from, you know, pretty much any jujitsu school. You know, like I remember when I was like, I don't know, white blue belt, and we were just starting to hear about like Nikki Ryan and mm. Kennedy Maciel and these, these, you know, at the time they were kids, they were, I don't know, 13, 14, you know, mm. and people were saying, oh, they're gonna be huge one day. And they were because they have these elite coaches, these yeah. elite training partners. And it's the same thing for, you know, uh, Mika and, you know, the Ruotola brothers and, you know, Cole has been, on a lot of fight to win cards. Like I remember yeah. him being talked about when he was, I don't know, 12, 13. Um, and he was kicking butt then yeah. too. And people were saying he's gonna be a big deal. And, well, yeah. man, coming out of art of jiu-jitsu and just the yeah. caliber of his, his movement understanding yeah. is just, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. We were just saying, if you were to try and pick three names from the who's number one, like the standouts, it's almost impossible. Oh, I went yeah. Cole. You know, Cole was one of mine. I think maybe Jacob Couch had a really good yeah. uh, showing, a really heartfelt showing as yeah. well. Um, but, you know, there's so many more. I also picked Tubby as well. I, yeah. I think that she showed the the most evolved leg entry game of the in the female divisions that I've yeah. seen for quite some time. Yeah. What about yeah. you, then? Yeah, a lot of interesting things. So I think just 
going back, like, I just think it's amazing the quality of, like, event they're putting on. Mm. Like, because really for me, since I started a few years ago, like, ADCC was the big thing, and then there was, like, the Worlds and whatever, and suddenly there's these, like, big spectacle events that are kind of, like, pay-per-view style. Yeah, like, showcases. Kind of, yeah, yeah, they're really amazing, and I just kind of see it so fascinating, seeing them all come together, and it's just this one weekend, everything is on. Um, I kind of just really like the event itself. Mm. I, I like the Gabby Garcia one. That was just like a fascinating, <laughs> just just chaos. Um, Crouch, that was interesting. Because yeah. um, of Prisca, we watched like more women's jiu-jitsu yep. than men's jiu-jitsu. So just watching all of those play out is just like super exciting and inspiring. So Massa Bustos, like. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Apparently she was sick and she missed all these flights to the event. So she was like totally out of it and then comes in and still wins. So it's just crazy. I'm still very impressed by Jessica Khan as well. Like she's another young, started young, is still young Mm. and is just competing on an elite level. Prolific, elite level. level. She's no backsteps. And she has sort of, she's consistently on the the level. She, She doesn't have like these big blowout performances she's just i think you need people like her around to push the evolution of the art like because you might get athletes who have really high level attributes in one area and then they'll come up against her and they'll be they'll have to prove it yeah prove it and test it but she's got that in every area as well and it's interesting what you say about the event itself because Mm. some people were saying prior that the event like lost steam you know they craig no longer in it um uh Andrew Wiltsey had to pull out as well and these types yeah. of things, but it just did not detract from the overall event whatsoever. And I think that goes back to like this, this standard and like the amount of competitors there because you lose like a few big names and then suddenly these other people come in there mm. and win, Yeah. right? Like, so I think it's just awesome. Like, I think that sometimes when you lose people, like, you actually gain these new opportunities yeah. and you get someone in who's super hungry to prove themselves. Mm. So they're just like throwing it all out there and going for it. It was interesting. Like, obviously there was the very well documented uh, upsets that occurred on the, on the first day and uh, everyone was sort of tracing the championship bounce. But I didn't realize that they were going to do that repechage on the yeah. third day. So when they had everyone there who had actually lost bouts before come back and compete for bronze. That was excellent. There were some yeah. fantastic matches that went down on that day as well, like Pato and Kisaneros. Mm-hmm. And man, this, the standard of every match was massive. It was yeah. absolutely massive. I was super impressed by the entire event as well. I think something that a lot of promotions can learn from as well um, is the fact that they paid for submissions. Mm. You know, that oh. everybody got a bonus, a significant pay bonus if they submitted. Like, there were consistent opportunities where if you went the extra mile, because not everybody chose to compete mm. for that third place, you know. Yeah. But there was prize money offered yeah. for that. You know, there was prize money offered for submissions, you know, so you didn't have, like you had some matches that kind of didn't really go anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, like I think that match between uh, Mika and Ty in the yeah. final was like, I think a lot of people were disappointed by that. And I have no room to say, oh, that was disappointing. Like I would get wrecked <laughs> if I went up against either of those guys. But I think in a lot of the other matches, you saw people taking more risks because there was more about they knew they couldn't just sit on top or yeah. like oh like I went for a weak you know heel hook or you know half ass yeah. straight ankle lock and you know got a ref's decision they wanted they were getting after it yeah. yeah I mean obviously we talked briefly about 
uh, Mika and Ty. Mm -hmm. That was the 30k match. 30 yeah. minutes for 30k. Yeah. It's like so they were being very tactical and patient. They're also very young. Yeah. And you could I could sense within their body language as well the way that they were sort of talking to each other during the match. I was yeah. like, hmm. There's something interesting going on with them right now. I've seen this type of thing before yeah. with young athletes. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't seen Mika jaw off in a match before. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. that's just the way it was going at the time. Yeah. The only thing I had in terms of criticism for the event, I think 30 minutes is a bit long for a match. Um, 20 minutes is cool. Yeah, at 20 minutes is pretty much, like, as a spectator, mm -hmm. I do have a short attention span, but that's kind of <laughs> my limit. But I also think, in terms of the athletic, I've had matches that have gone 30 minutes. I've had a couple matches go for an hour, and one went for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. um, and by the end, like, you can't do anything, yeah. you know? Like, it's whoever gasses out first. And while that's valid in terms of, you know, oh, I want this medal, you know, I'm going to fight till the end. If you're running a spectator event, mm -hmm. you don't want to athletes who are just kind of waiting it out till the end, seeing who gasses out first. Because I think Ty even said that he was waiting for Mika to gas out, yeah. you know. Well, that would have been his strategy. He would have yeah. felt that Mika had a little bit more muscle mass than him. The, yeah. the Ruotolos rely on their gas tank and their energy for the entire time. Yeah. And then, boom, like, it just didn't happen the way that yeah. he thought it was going to happen. Mika was much more technical and patient. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean... It is what it is. But Cade was excellent as oh, well. Yeah. Like, some of the upsets that were going on in those divisions were out of this world, man. Like, obviously, the Jimenez upset. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, uh, you could potentially say that the Dante Leon matchup oh, yeah. was a, an upset as well. Like, no one was really expecting it to go down like that. But that's what competitions are for. Yeah. It, it, was, a it was a fantastic event. Yeah. I'm glad that... I think... Potentially, it was COVID that brought those types of events to the forefront. Mm -hmm. Because when you can't run massive tournaments that involve hundreds of people um, being in a room together over three days and competing yeah. in numerous matchups and numerous divisions, when that format is unavailable, a showcase format comes to the forefront, and then you get to refine it. You get to run more events because there's going to be more competitors available to do that, and they actually get to continue to sharpen all their skills under lights and under pressure mm -hmm. and they they have all of the info about all of their competitors and who they're going to be competing against and because it's a smaller pool you can see how their direct tactics play out in a in a smaller uh, format or in a sharper format as opposed to like a tournament format where you see your draw maybe two days out on the day there's so many people that entered you're not really sure what you're going to have to do it's a little bit more about you just going out there and doing what you do uh lots of things can happen but when it's a smaller pool and they're all elite and you know what they're going to try and do you have to be even sharper on your counter tactics and i saw a lot of that playing out at the event yeah. Yeah. there's some really cool stuff going on right yeah. now and i'm looking forward to seeing what happens next now that gordon's tum tum's all better <laughs> Yeah, definitely for sure. <laughs> definitely excited to see what happens. He's got a uh, exhibition match. Yeah, right? against the uh, Phil Dawes. Yeah, yeah, so a 15 minute match where basically the submission occurs, they reset. Is that mm. what's happening? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. Why? <laughs> yeah, good question. I just want to see him back in action. Yeah, he gets some special treatment, that dude. Yeah. He is a special man who can dish it out and cannot take it. He's. Okay. I'll preface this by saying he's legitimately, he's potentially one of the best grapplers who's ever grappled. 
But like, he's a kid too. To me, he, he's very immature. He's very immature. And he has been the source of a lot of negativity in the scene. Like, I, I don't... He's been a, a source of a lot of entertainment, potentially, but that doesn't mean that entertainment was positive, you know? And he will take any opportunity to run down people who he feels are not good at jujitsu, tell them they suck, tell them that they were inconsistent. Like, he's the embodiment of a, an internet troll. But when those inconsistencies in his own behavior are brought up to him... He has to go on a you know a massive sixteen Instagram post diatribe about why what they're saying isn't true, and it's like, hang on a second, man. Like, if you want to live by the sword, you're gonna die by the sword as well. And I think that's why people like sort of Craig Jones's approach to it, because yeah. even though he says some really stupid and inappropriate shit, when people say it back to him, he doesn't like he understands what it is, so he doesn't treat it like it's anything else. Yeah, you know? like I've had friends who. Gordon has personally gone after and he spreads that to his massive audience and he has whether or not he has tried to cultivate this little group of minions you know big group mm. of minions there are a lot of people on the internet who worship him mm. like they have sent messages to my friend saying and I quote all hail the king <laughs> which is the cringiest shit I oh, have man, he's... like here, him and Henry Cejudo make me cringe so God. bad. Look, because I, I understand I've been involved in this sport and industry for a very long time, and it's the same with any sport, if yeah. you really think about it. You're going to get people who are excellent at their sport and just horse shit at life. And he is the true embodiment of that. Like, when he picks up the crown and did that whole crown and scepter shit, I was smiling, I was laughing, I thought that was hilarious, you know? But then in hindsight, I'm like, oh my God, like, what is, what is this so cringy? And where does it lead to? And, and then the next part is like, it kind of makes me um, disappointed in a way. And it, because I get my hopes up, you know what I mean? Like, I'm hoping that he'll move past it because he is so good at grappling. And if you look at his instructionals, the content of what he has in those instructionals is amazingly insightful. And I'm just hoping that he gets over his nonsense and just puts his focus on being a coach and being a great practitioner because he is great at those things. Like, it just, yeah, it's frustrating. Like, yeah. It really is. No, well, I think it comes back to really what you're saying about that 30-minute match, right? Mm -hmm. Is that... Um, as a spectator, it needs to be entertaining. Yeah. And Gordon's has really gone down this Conor McGregor route of, yeah. I'm going to troll, I'm going to do the, all this crazy shit, and people are going to watch me regardless of what I do. Mm. And I think we're, what's fascinating with Gordon right now is that I think a lot of the reason why he gets away with what he's done is because he's winning. Yeah. If yeah. he started getting choked out all the time, he wouldn't be able to do the things that he does and all hell the kid. Yeah. Kind of where Connor is right now. Yeah. Right. Connor comes out and they're like, "Yeah, mate, hang it up. You don't have it." Anymore. Yeah. yeah. So I think with Gordon, we're seeing him at this peak pinnacle of, you know, double ADCC champ hasn't lost in a long time, making his opponents look very average. All those kids you're talking about, if they come up and start beating Gordon, I don't think he's going to be. If he if he continues like this, he won't have the respect that goes with it, or yeah. that might be the catalyst that he needs to adapt. Because mm -hmm. right now. All of that is getting a lot of eyeballs on him, which means he's making a lot of money. Yeah. Especially in the grappling scene. I feel like Danaher's become his handler. Like, he's just, like, following him behind him. He's not that bad, I promise you. Like, he's like, you should see, here's all the good stuff I tell, I'm telling you. Like, I feel like that's his whole role now, you know what I mean? Because he, he totes and trumpets all of those aspects that I was talking about, about how good Gordon is 
in the room as a coach. But mm. then you hear the other sides of things, like the whole advent of B team could be potentially based on Gordon Ryan's toxicity personally as well. Like, mm-hmm. is he really creating more issues than we can see on the surface? I mean, Nicky Rod, who I can only imagine is just a delight to be around, is he's coming out and saying, yeah, it's Gordon. Like, Gordon was the problem. And I think that's the match to make at the end of the day. Like, if you wanted to do... Yeah, yeah the cut the poison yeah, remark. Yeah. Like, if you want to do a match... Nicky Rod versus Gordon. That's what uh, Nicky Rod said, is that more likely he's not going to train with him because they'll compete next year if Gordon wants to do the super fight against Andre Gabal and also the absolute. Mm. So obviously, uh, Nicky Rod said that he wants to be the best in the world. Obviously, to be the best, you've got to be the best in this situation. Um, But it's it's interesting, obviously, with this match that's coming up because if Gordon is to get submitted, as Ben was saying, like, is he then going to be like, oh, well, you know, there you go. Because I remember years ago, when he had matches against Felipe Pena, and mm. then he lost both by rear naked choke, he was so much smack talk in the lead up to it, and yeah. so much smack talk in the rematch as well. Yeah. And then when he lost in ADCC, everyone was like, oh, yeah, you're all talk and shit like that. But then when he backed it up by winning double gold, and now he's got a super fight and to win the, um, the absolute, like it's going to be interesting to see how that goes down, yeah. especially with the additions of Craig and Nicky Rod in that bracket, still, mm. I imagine. So we could potentially see like you know Gordon versus Craig rematch. We could see Nicky Rod versus Gordon, which would be interesting as well. Well, it it writes a very interesting narrative, doesn't it? I mean, B team, everyone's super smiley when they watch those stupid videos. You know, YouTube like Craig Jones is being hilarious. Um, some of the techniques that are going down in that room are really high level as well. We're going to see in time what happens when that eclectic eclectic coaching staff of Craig Jones, Nicky Rod, Nicky Ryan. Creliston, like, mm-hmm. what will be the product of their shared work? Mm-hmm. You know, is that as good a room, if not better, than a room that Gordon, Gary, and Danaher can create? And that's that's going to be the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And if you get a match between Nicky Rod and Gordon, or if you get a match between Craig and Gordon, the general consensus or the general atmosphere is going to be, we'd really like to see Gordon lose. Mm-hmm. But... Potentially, it might be the other way around, though, but people would just really like to see Craig win. So, who knows? Who knows how that's going to go down? But there's going to be so many more names to be talking about and thinking about. Like, again, we're talking about the Ruotolos at 18. Let's look at the Ruotolos at 23. Mm -hmm. Now, let's look at Grace Gundrum at 23. You know, like Peak and Prime. ah, It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun couple of years. Cola Bate, like, when he hits puberty. This when is going to be amazing. Next year's ADCC is just going to be incredible. And obviously, the evolution in that time frame, because I don't think it's until like November or something next year. So you've got at least another whole year of development for all of those people you talked about, plus other people to come up in that time frame. You've got mm-hmm. all the ADCC trials as well. Yeah. So, you know, you could have a completely unknown come in, win the trials, make their way through, and who knows what other competitions will come up in the meantime mm. to help other people develop. Well, that's what happened with, like, I mean, Amanda Levy, who just yeah. Yeah. Gabby Garcia. That's how Liz Clay got on the mm. scene, Nikki Rod, you know, getting yeah. third as a white belt, yeah. and then, yeah. you know, qualifying six months later, you know? Yeah. So I agree with Dan. I think that's going to be interesting, especially now that a few of these names have kind of gotten on the board through mm. that who's number one, seeing who's, you know, again, moving up, I'm, I'm interested to see if ADCC will remain as the premier uh, competition to be the world champion in Noki. Uh, as, as time goes on, 
uh, and as more popularity is sort of drawn into that microchasm of Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. you know that there's going to be some elite competitions that are circulating, circulating in and around that area. Will they become? Will they get viewed as greater than what the ADCC are putting on, or will it remain as the the tournament debate? I mean, I know that as of right now, the showcase format is entertaining it's fun to watch people want to watch it people look forward to it people are looking forward to the next one will they look forward to that style of show more than they look forward to adcc being a tournament format or will the tournament format still be viewed as the pinnacle of what you can potentially achieve like yeah. the test of your skills i'd be very interested to see if the showcase trumps the tournament in terms of elite professional grappling. Yeah, well I feel like that when, when I'm watching the ADCC videos on YouTube and I'm watching the match and then I see like Gordon Ryan or something in the other match at the yeah. same time and I'm like, oh, like I would love to be able to watch them all like mm, yeah. viewing it in live time, each match like a showcase yeah. rather than that. But you guys have been there, so what's yeah. it like actually like? <laughs> I didn't get to see a whole lot. Stress and working backstage. Yeah, as a spectator, it was like, as you say, like, the very first three matches, you had like Gordon, Bushesha, like <laughs> big Orlando Sanchez, and I'm like, where do I, where do I look? Like, yeah. and especially because like the stadium that ADCC was held at, it's quite big, and like the further away you are, you know, it's obviously harder to see. They have screens, but usually it's only one match on that screen, which I didn't really like. I think like the production will increase and it'll get better because I think uh, with Mo and Seth Daniels from uh, Fight to Win, they're trying to do better production. Like I think they actually did the production for who's number one this weekend that just passed. So the production will obviously get better for ADCC next year. Mm. So I'm hoping there will be like giant screens so you can, you know, look back and forth. But I mean, when you're there live, it's tricky. And I imagine it's very similar to when you're at home, like clicking between map one, map two, map three. Mm. But if you go back to like tournament style, like if you have to make your way to no new worlds, potentially you've got eight matches. Mm. Going between eight matches on 18 or 12 mats or whatever, that's really hard to bounce back and forth from. Yeah, so yeah. the larger the tournament, the more mats, it becomes more trickier to sort of follow. Like we know, because obviously we coach at competitions, going between four mats at a time when you've got people on each single one is very tricky. But when you triple that it's even harder but when you go down to ADCC it's the elite yeah. so the very first round or second round or that person gets eliminated and it's, you know quick submissions somebody else steps on but you've still got the goat over there and you've got your fan favorite there and then you've got another bracket starting there it's great matchups it's it's uh, a little bit overwhelming as a spectator but it's it's still like really exciting as as, as we're speaking I'm, I'm having a couple of thoughts because I used to Obviously, back in the day, you just buy DVDs, right? And I used to buy DVDs of Nogi Worlds and Gi Worlds and stuff like that. And it'd be like 16 to 24 hours, yeah. of, <laughs> uh, literally, of, of matchups that you can watch on this DVD. And, you know, I'd, I'd watch all of them intermittently. I'd go back and watch matches and things like that. But I think that one of the coolest parts of that whole tournament, the aspect of tournaments, is the stories that play out. So you see people win and progress, win and progress, win and progress, and you, you follow them, you track them, you're like, oh wow, this person's winning all these matches like this, oh, they're gonna, they could potentially face this person from this bracket, mm -hmm. like that story is what attracts people yeah. to a tournament format. Potentially what could happen is we could see a little bit of a flip, like so what you're describing is Mo and the, the ADCC crew, they're learning from the WNO crew about 
production values or they're collaborating on production values and what makes a good entertaining night of event. Right? So if you flipped it and we're like, all right, so we're going to have this massive ADCC tournament, but it's a qualifier. So here's your story, right? Here's the big tournament and we're going to film every match, we'll release every match and you can view it in your own time in a 16, 20 hour DVD format, right? Whatever. But it's very well, you know, covered, very well documented. Everyone knows every single story that came out of it and all of the high level matches that went into it. But then it stops, right? And then you have a showcase event that takes place a week to two weeks to a month later. Yeah. So anyone that potentially got injured... Like in their semi-final matches, they can heal up, they can train, they'll prepare for that one person who they know they're going to fight, and then it's ADCC Championship. Mm -hmm. So you've got one showcase night of the finals or the bronze matches that took place at that tournament that you were so hyped on and you know all the stories about, and now you get to anticipate and wait this championship like showcase and it happens on one night and everyone would buy it. Mm -hmm. Everyone would be like, wow, this is going to be awesome. I think that might be, let's pitch it. (laughs) (laughs) There's the pitch, put it on. Yeah, it could be good. I think a lot of things are happening right now that I think the big layoff from, uh, you know, big tournaments has led to a scenario where a lot of techniques or a lot of strategies and concepts that were very new are now very drilled and very known, right? So every entry, every saddle entry, the whole Danaher system, the whole straight jacket back attack system, uh, you know, HQ passing, body lock passing, K guard, pretzel bolo, everything. Like these are known tactics now. They're not just things that people are using at a high level to win matches, you know, using K guard to get into backside 50, using pretzel bolos to counter leg entanglements and things like this. So. This is very open knowledge now. So we're at a really interesting time period where if you get those young athletes or like pools of athletes who all understand these high level concepts, it's like, what's next? You know what I mean? Because even up to two years ago, you could knee slice pass back step into saddle and win every match. You could go shin to shin into, you know, single leg X and be winning by footlock almost every single match. It's a very rep replicable game plan that you could do over and over you can't do that now you can't even do that at white belt now mm-hmm. so it's i'm very interested from my own personal vantage point to see what happens next technically i think we're starting to see it with some of those young athletes that we talked about before as they innovate past it but past and around it but i'd really like to see what happens next yeah well look at even just the buggy choke mm. you know yeah. i think that's a great example that has become Cade Rotola's thing, mm. you know, um, and other practitioners have used it. Like, even before Cade used it, there was someone in an MMA fight yeah. that used it. Um, but look at how many people have locked onto that, and soon I think that's even going to become commonplace. Whereas, you know, a year ago, that was like, and it's for me, who doesn't know how to do it, it still is, but yeah. it shows you how quickly that can be innovated and developed. Yeah. Existing positions as well, uh, like reverse de la Hiva, the mm-hmm. potential for new innovations to occur yeah. around reverse de la Hiva because other positions that are open guard based positions can get exploited. Mm-hmm. Can get exploited. You can't go all outside with your feet. If you get a leg entry, you can get your back taken. Um, 
people can step over and press a wallow from your basic inversions as well. So if you don't have some sort of tactile connection with your reverse De La Hiva, it can get exploited, which means people who play it now have to get better at it and be more threatening with it. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think this type of thing is just brilliant for the evolution of grappling, evolution of jiu-jitsu, and not having heaps of competitions, mm -hmm. but having more time for all of this knowledge to be become canon almost, yeah. like more just commonplace. That's really cool. That's sort of very unique in the timeline in history because there's always been competitions. But now with the lack of competitions, we're seeing the progression of technique in a way that we didn't really yeah. think that we would. I'm curious, as a blue belt, mm. <laughs> who has not been in, like, who has not seen all of this development over, yeah. you know, a decade, yeah. what has been your perspective of how things have changed in jiu-jitsu? Yeah, so I've been training for about four years, and since I started, like, it was very much closed guard, armbar, triangle, sweep kind yeah. of thing. And then now, like, all the white belts are leg entanglement, this, that. So when I see the white belt matches play out now at like grappling industries or whatever I'm like I know all of those guys would have beaten me at white belt because they're just doing stuff that I would have had no idea what was going mm -hmm. on so in that I think I started and then it kind of just really evolved really quickly in that time so I've seen like a real like it's a real change like I feel like it's a different sport like from my perspective have you seen a change in the coaching strategies based on that or do you think it's been like a natural thing <sighs> I don't know if I have that level of awareness to know what's going on. Well, <laughs> we've got a lot of high expectations of you, man. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. start turning yeah. out knowledge. I, I don't know. I think, you, I think it varies from coach to coach. Yeah. So I think you see some coach still saying, like, smash through, whatever, do this. And then you see other ones that are more planning it out and trying to find the way around. So, yeah. yeah. And when uh, we have events coming up or events that are playing out, like the M16 Open, Yeah. obviously myself, Avery, Dan, like... We know, we, especially Dan and I, like we know a lot of these people from decades ago, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? To just see them come up now. But for you, you might not have been aware of all of these people and what they've been doing for so long. So when you see these people coming out now, like Jarek and Sean and, you know, uh, a lot of people that have been part of the scene for a long time, a what is your perspective on all of that? Is it just exciting? Are you learning yeah. more? Are you yeah. learning more about the state in general, like the scene in general? Yeah, I think it's just, because it's new. So you're like, you know, I've met Jared for the first time here like six months ago, mm. so I didn't know his journey beyond that. Um, so I think when we see it, it's just like, it kind of feels like going to M16, kind of for me coming in, not knowing everyone. I know some people, maybe half. It's kind of like watching who's number one. Mm. That's kind of the level of like, it's an event, it's exciting. Um, obviously we're getting atmosphere in there and all that kind of thing. So it's it's, an interesting and exciting spectacle. And from your perspective, what I, I've been wanting to ask uh, a lot of people this, but from your mm. perspective, what motivates you more to compete in? IBJJF, Grappling Industries, AGC, M16 Open, um, ADCC style rules, like what could you honestly see yourself, given everything that you've mm. learned and the way that it's evolved and the things that excite you, what, what could you see yourself doing? I think the most exciting would be like an M16 ADCC style tournament because um, I feel like that's probably to me feels like a more pure anything like you can do whatever you need to do. So for me, because I'm really at the start of leg locks and attacks and defense, um, 
that would probably feel like the biggest jump though. So that's where I'd like to end up, but I kind of feel like if I went into one of those tournaments, I'd get healed fairly quickly. Yeah. So then I'd probably more lean if I was going to compete this month or next month would be more like an IBJJF rule yeah. set, straight ankle lock only mm. at Blue Dog. So that's sort of your entry level and then yeah. scale up. Yeah, that's what, right. I, would, you, would you say that maybe grappling industries or AGC round robin format would be sort of the intermediary? Between those two things? Yeah, that's right. Because you can get, it's not knockout. Yeah, so if exactly. you lose, you can come back saying. in, you can yeah. get reps in. Because like, the other thing that I learned is doing jiu-jitsu or grappling is a skill, but then competing in that is a separate skill. Mm. You need to manage your emotions, the crowd, no music playing, people looking at you. It's a different thing. Mm. So I think um, for me, doing that, getting some reps in, getting more experience mm. would be the way to go. Yeah. That's awesome. Imagine if we had that down. <laughs> Imagine if we didn't pay $180 to rock up into an RDJJF event, get subbed in 10 yeah. seconds, and yeah. then like not want to compete for the rest of the weekend. My very first competition, it was like three to six months after I started training. I was like, yeah, I know jiu-jitsu. Like, very much similar to Prisco, you know, uh, sort of situation. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know where I'm at here. Um, stepped in, slap bum immediately had my posture broken and standing guillotined mm. and i was and i remember the coach uh, who i was under was yelling posture posture and i had no idea how to posture at that moment like apparently spinal alignment is something that i completely <laughs> forgot uh and got guillotined and yeah paid 80 bucks for that yeah. um whereas now as we were saying like the round robin format it's fantastic and um I, we just had the state championships a couple of weeks ago um few people entered like not as much as maybe some of the other tournaments that happened but obviously with covid restrictions for interstate mm. uh that makes it a little bit harder but yeah single elimination um especially for when you go to the kids divisions yeah. or you know if it's your first competition um you know you don't always win the first role you have like mm. you might get submitted by the first person you, uh, you roll with and then you slap bump go again and then you submit them and that's the thing i like about the round robin is that it gives you three matches if it's just one other person yeah. in your division, uh, but you do get the chance to test yourself against other people from other gyms in your bracket. Um, I, I like round robin because you know obviously you get more matches, pay a hundred something dollars or whatever to register for a competition. Mm. It just seems, yeah, you get more for your worth. Yeah. I think so as well. I think having a round robin format gives you just more data in general yeah. like you can win and lose on the same day therefore you're going to get more out of it I think the worst thing that happened for me when I competed in my first jiu-jitsu competition is I won it and it was the first state championships ever that was held in this state it was single elimination I won every match and I thought I was the fucking man are you okay? Did you recover from that? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, I'm still That's the man. <laughs> still, still, I'm still I'm the still first ever state champion. But I didn't, I didn't get anything from it. Yeah. Like, I didn't learn anything from it. Whereas and I was wrong. Like, I'm, you're not the man. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're a white belt. And you've won a comp one competition. You've won some matches. Yeah. Okay, cool. What did you get out of that? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing really. You got a little bit of elation and some emotional um, validation that you did something good. That's great. But... I think that what you can potentially gain from a grappling industries or an AGC or any round robin format tournament is that you can win and lose on the same day and you have to face that resolve on the same day and coming out of that tournament you're going to get so much data on how to actually get better. You're going to find out how you uh, handle a win, you're going to find out how you handle a loss. You're going to find out where your jiu-jitsu really lies, not based on the draw, 
based on um, you know how your jujitsu interacts with other people's game plans that are around your weight size and skill level uh, on with a more broader net so i think i would place it differently to how ben placed it i would place it round robin first to get all the data get all the experience uh, and get as much out of your money as you possibly can and then IBJJF because it's single elimination it's kind of like the test of what you've learned yeah. from those round robin format tournaments because it's more pressurized and you've got to um, perform yeah. then to compound that as well it's not a tournament anymore it's just one fight on the M16 Open, where you've really got to bring in all of those skills, all of your experience, all of your ability to perform, uh, the microchasm of like, it's just maybe potentially a five minute match, a 10 minute match, a 15 minute match. I get one shot at this, but everyone knows about it because it's been promoted for the last 12 weeks and my face is on the flyer and all that kind of stuff, all of that pressure as well. I, I feel like that would be the top end, but the round robins would be the bottom. So that would be the scale-up system yeah. in my mind. Then in that, if we're drawing a scale-out, then where does like a um, inter-club thing kind of fit as well? Oh, before the round. Before, yeah. yeah, before. yeah. yeah. I always recommend um, AGC and Grappling Industries uh, to people where they're like, oh, damn, what? I want to do a competition. What one do you recommend? Mm. Well, AGC or Grappling Industries because you're going to get more matches, yeah. definitely. Um, and obviously, not competition's not for everyone. Um, some people might go in a competition, realise it's not for them for whatever reason, um, but at least they have given it a try uh, and they've had multiple different matches because I've, I've entered uh, round-robin comps before. I've lost my first match on points and then I won my second match by sub. And because I won by sub, I won gold. So like, there's wins and losses and in yeah. all of this. But if that was a single elimination match, I would have just lost and then I would have been done for the day if I'd only entered one division. Yeah. Um, so the chance to compete again in the round robin is fantastic. And the interclub ones are great. Like we hold mock matches here. So yeah. aggressive doing their mock matches, yeah. which is fantastic. So that gives people a little bit of a taste because uh, people, when they go from like just training, you know, Thursday night towards like a competition class mm -hmm. or an actual competition. The level is sort of like, you know, maybe like a 2 out of 10, 3 out of 10 for training, but then it's like high yeah. intensity. People don't want to give up points. They're trying to submit you a little bit harder. There's a whole bunch of other factors that play yeah. into competition that a lot of people get a shock yeah. when they go from just training and rolling with your friends towards someone you don't know wanting to be sort of like win. Even just mental multitasking. Even just having to surmise a situation, right? I've got two minutes left. I'm three points down. I'm on top in the half guard. What happens now? What techniques am I actually going to translate into this moment in time that I know how to do that's going to get me this victory? And if time is ticking away, do I have submissions that I can um, initiate from this position as well? And what are they doing? Are they just clamping and stalling because they're ahead? Yeah. And how does that affect my technique choice as well? Like These things, you don't necessarily always think about them, but if you're always plopped in those little spots when we're training or doing comp class, it really, really helps. I see a massive difference. Other thing I see a massive difference... Uh, in aiding it with is wrestling everyone who does comp class um, so most people who do comp class from our gym will medal when they compete most everyone who's done wrestling and comp class has medaled bar none so they have a much better idea of what they're going to do right off the bat when that match starts slap hands and bump fist 
They're not trying to pull an open guard. They're not shocked when someone doesn't pull guard. Um, they don't fall into a necktie necktie game. They're able to negotiate uh, the, their opponent's guard pulls a little bit better. They're much better at negotiating when their opponent shoots. They understand where they're at at every single point in time, whether they're standing in the over-under, whether they're in the necktie pummels. They can go to outside Russians. They can thumb block. They can neck snap. They can be more composed right off the bat. Some people... Or when they compete for the first time, they've never been posed the question, hey, what are you going to do when the match starts? And they only find security and composure when the match hits the floor. So if they pull guard and it's messy and it's a scramble and they're finally in full guard, they're like, all right, cool. I know where I'm at now. But you kind of need that straight away. All right, cool. I know where I'm at now. Someone tries to necktie me. I know it's a long tie. I know it's not so strong. I know I can exploit it. As soon as they make contact with me, I know where I'm at. So I think that has been uh, something I've just noticed as one point of training tool or training device that we can really help people with is having an idea about the standing grappling as well. And if we had judo, it would be even better because then people in competing in the gi would have the same type of composure and understanding of what's occurring with the grip game. So it all it all ties into each other. We have to we have to respect the judicators as well. I think that's the other thing is like when you start your rounds on your knees, like mm. uh, that's not something I'm a big fan of. Or if like one person starts seated, the other person starts standing, then that's not a realistic sort of like setup for competition. Mm. <clears throat> so obviously starting from standing is obviously how all matches play. Whether you decide to pull guard or yeah. you know, take down, but if you obviously pull guard, then you know you still have to have a grip in a lot of yeah. tournaments. Um, so you still need to get close, which means that wrestling can occur. Yeah. So. And even if you pull guard, like pull a guard. Yeah. You, I know people see people like sit. When, when you're at an elite level, that makes more sense, right? But when you're not so much and you give people the opportunity to rifle through their attacking options from the passing perspective, right off the bat, you've conceded that they're going to make their grips first you're a step behind right off the bat and things get hard. Right? If you're going to pull guard in competition at a fundamental level, pull a guard. Don't pull guard, pull a guard. Like pull quarter guard, half guard, pull Delaheva, pull inside Delaheva, like reverse Delaheva, whatever it's going to be. Pull shin to shin if you can. Like take a grip, make contact, pull the, pull, pull the hooks, make sure you've got a specific goal about how you're going to pull. Don't let them dictate what guard you have to play. You've got to do it the other way around. I think that another point that's really helped over the years when people make that transition from just a student in the academy to actually applying uh, on the mats in competition as well. Uh, interesting. Interesting stuff. What are you guys looking forward to the most out of the next couple of weeks? I mean, obviously there's Polaris, there's the October who's number one, there's more B-team stuff. <laughs> Definitely the evolution of Mexican ground karate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's I want to take part in this evolution. I mean, definitely have to uh, see how, where, how that plays out. Are they going to be just continuously silver medals? Uh, is, that, is that mandatory now? <laughs> One thing I do like is I, like, I noticed that they're, um, they're not accepting uh, below purple belts. No, it's blue belts. Is it blue belts now? Yeah. I thought it was blue belt for dropping. Yeah, I think it's oh, blue belt for dropping. Yeah. So that means like the caliber of training is like obviously going to be higher. And you know, obviously uh, going back to like Gordon's training now, uh, separate from the B team, that's going to be interesting to see who he's training with. 
because um, obviously you've you got people like Craig, Nicky Rod, you know, Nicky Ryan, all those other guys. It's going to be interesting to see who Gordon trains with over the next year. Um, you know, he's made a lot of enemies, but I wonder if he's made a lot of friends that he can still continue to train. Oh, with. Oh, is he? Well. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. I feel like Danaher will help with that. Yeah. That endeavor. People might not go there to train with Gordon. They're likely going to be wanting to train with Danaher um, because he's sort of. The catalyst of this next wave of evolution that took place. I think everyone who trained that B team and trains with them now, they're all Danaher students, quote unquote. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting couple of uh, couple of years, I think, to see how it all rustles out. But I'm pretty happy with it. I mean, next year I'll post again that Craig dumped me for the fifth year. <laughs> <laughs> Unless he comes back for Christmas, the borders are opening up. So that's not happening. <laughs> I'm him. confident that's not happening. You're going to leave the country. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah, going to come yeah, here, yeah, you yeah. go there. You rock up to America. Yeah. Where you at? Duck at me. Convenient. I'm at B-Team <laughs> on the videos, like training with Isaac. Like, what are you doing there? Okay, show up here. That's the last thing I wanted to talk about. Just seeing Isaac uh, there in Austin as the UK is crazy to me because Isaac, like Declan, like Wana, and like all these kids, like, like Connor, he, to me, Isaac is Connor Damon. You know what I mean? Like he was that standout kid from Aruda who we used to practice with, and now he's yeah, it's it's cool. You know what I mean? I feel, I feel and sound like an old man right now as I'm saying these. We are old, but we're definitely old. It is what it is. <laughs> Back in my day, when he was twelve and fourteen. Yeah, so. it's like when Declan was this young kid, and now he's going to run a seminar in the academy because <laughs> I want to learn from him. You know what I mean? It's, it's that kind of thing. That's that's probably the, the most important part of it is just everyone keeps on growing and progressing and evolving and we stay positive in our community and we see what happens. Right? Learn and grow together. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for coming in, guys. And Avery and Ben for crashing. Very, very cool little addition. Very happy with that. Um, and maybe maybe we'll get some more of these types of podcasts going on, some impromptu podcasts. Maybe I could do like a... a add an open mat podcast or something like that where just I have it recording the whole time and people just keep dropping by where I'm sitting and we can have conversations Matt's like that kind of thing yeah mm. little bit I like, I like talking grappling as you may have noticed <laughs> I like talking about techniques and and all that kind of stuff so I'm glad that you guys like talking about it as well thanks very much thank right. you stay tuned we'll be back same bat time same bat channel for all the bat fans out there <laughs>